Today I'm continuing a series teaching on humility. I've entitled this Humility, God's Path to More Grace. I tell you, the Bible has a lot to say about humbling ourselves before the Lord or humility. And what I want to begin to do today is to make a connection between faith and humility. You know, this is something that you probably have never heard. I don't know that I've ever heard anybody make a connection between faith and humility. Usually, when you're teaching on faith, you don't teach on humility or vice versa. But there are a number of scriptures that link humility to having strong faith. For instance, in Romans chapter 5, verse 2, it says, "...by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God." The whole book of Romans is talking about the grace of God. It's Paul's masterpiece on the subject of grace. And in the first four chapters, he had just made profound statements. And in the fourth chapter, he used Abraham and David, two of the greatest uh, you know, patriarchs of the Old Testament, and used them to illustrate grace. Showed how that Abraham wasn't, he didn't act perfectly. It was in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, where it says he believed God and God counted his faith as righteousness. It was a gift. Abraham didn't deserve all of the things that God did in his life. It was the grace of God that made it come to pass, and yet Abraham became a great man. David certainly didn't deserve everything. David committed adultery and murdered to cover up his adultery and yet God used him. And David wrote, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Not just did not or does not, but will not impute sin. And so he used Abraham and David as two great examples and wound up the fourth chapter of the book of Romans by talking about that, so therefore we have access to God through the, into this grace of God that he'd been describing through faith. Now, put that together with James chapter 4, verse 6, where it says, God resists the proud, but He gives grace unto the humble. Grace comes to those who are humble, and yet it says in Romans 5, 2, that grace is accessed by faith. That word access in Romans 5, 2 is the exact same word. It's the root word that we get our word admission from. If you want to go to a movie theater, you have to buy a ticket and that gains you admission. There is a, like a payment. How is it that you get admission or access unto God's grace? It's through faith, Romans 5, 2, but James chapter 4, verse 6 says God gives grace to the humble. Do those two things contradict each other? No, they're the same. True humility is putting faith in God and not faith in yourself. Or you could, you could turn it around and say it this way. One of the reasons that a lot of people struggle with faith is because they don't understand that faith is actually just humbling yourself and turning from your own goodness and depending upon the goodness and the grace of God. There are a lot of people that are trying to earn God's blessing. For instance, in the area of healing, there are some people that know that God heals. They believe all those testimonies. You know, I prayed with a woman just a couple of nights ago who had a stroke, and I forget, but for years had been paralyzed on the right side, unable to speak. I prayed with her. She was 37 years old. I prayed with her. Within 10 minutes, she was talking fluently, and I mean in complete sentences. 
I went back and talked to her and she was talking just as normal as she ever had. And I didn't see the final results, but I believe that if she's got part of that, she'll get the rest of it and stuff. And you know what? There's some people that believe that. And if I talk about that and we, we saw a boy that uh, we got a text message last Thursday night and uh, they said that this boy was dead, had quit, had quit uh, breathing. And so there was a number of us. We just stood together and spoke healing over this child. It was hundreds of miles away. Within two minutes, they got a text message again that everything's fine, totally normal, just was totally restored. We see things like this happen all the time. There's people who say, I believe that that can happen. But when it comes to you receiving, you feel like you've got to do everything just right. You know what that is? And again, some people struggle to make these connections, but hopefully you'll get what I'm saying. You're actually in pride. You are actually looking at yourself and depending upon yourself and thinking you have to be good enough, worthy enough for God to do these things in your life. You might, you might even sit there and say, but it's not pride. I'm feeling like I'm unworthy. That's pride. You are focused on yourself. You think it's all about yourself. You think that somehow or another, God's blessing in your life is dependent upon your goodness and upon your performance. And you know what that is? Some people might say, well, that's condemnation and unworthiness. It's actually pride. You're focused on yourself. But humility is when you can look beyond yourself. And you say, Father, I haven't done everything right. I know I'm not worthy, but I believe in your goodness. I believe in your grace. And you know what? If you can approach God that way, that's humility. God will give grace to you. God's grace will flow and the grace of God will bring healing to you. It'll bring anything. But there's a lot of people who knows God can heal. They may even believe it's God's will to heal, but they are trusting in themselves. They are feeling like I've got to quit this sin. I've got to quit this thing. I've got to start doing all of these things right. There's people that hear about confession and that, you, you know, faith is voice activated. And so they feel like they've got to say the word 500 times before they can get healed. It doesn't take 500 times confessing the word. It just takes one time confessing the word in total faith, depending upon God. But it may take you 500 times saying it before you go to believe in it. You do need to stand on the Word of God, but people are, they would phrase it differently, but it's really pride. They aren't accessing the grace of God because it's faith in themselves, faith in their own works, faith in their own ability. You know, at my meetings, I often give altar calls and have people come forward for prayer. And I've had people literally by the thousands stand in front of me and tell me, I know God heals. I know it's God's will to heal me, but I have done this and this and this. I've confessed the word. I'm living a holy life. I'm going to church. I'm paying my tithes. And they start mentioning all of the things that they've done. And then they say, why hasn't God healed me? You know, by saying that, they've told me why God hasn't healed them. They didn't point to what Jesus did, but they pointed to what they are doing. They are, in a sense, trying to justify and say, I'm holy. I'm doing these things. I'm doing all of this. Why hasn't God healed me? Because you are still into yourself. You are still depending upon your performance. I don't have people come to me 
and say, I know it's God's will to heal, and by the stripes of Jesus I'm healed, and I just receive it as a gift. I don't have those people come to me with the same confusion because you know what? They are trusting in God, and that activates the power of God. But I have had people by the thousands say, I'm doing this, and I'm doing this, and this, and this, and how come God hasn't healed me? It's because you are still trusting in yourself. You are thinking, if I'll do, you know, steps one through five, then God has to perform. That's pride. You could call it legalism. You can call it works. You can call it performance. You can call it a lot of things. But you are trusting in your performance instead of trusting in what Jesus has done for you. And so you are just focused on all of the things that you must do. And don't misunderstand what I'm saying. There are things that we need to do, but when we come before God, you do what you know to do, but ultimately you just humble yourself. And faith is putting trust in God and not trust in yourself. This is the reason that some of you who have done something really wrong, maybe you've gone out and committed sexual sin, maybe you've gotten drunk, maybe you've done, you know, who knows whatever, and you just can't believe that God would ever move in your life. You probably wouldn't say this, but you know what that is? That's pride. And you say, oh no, it's unworthiness. What it is, you are focused on yourself. And it doesn't matter if you're focused on yourself thinking I'm better than everybody else, or if you're focused on yourself thinking I'm worse than anybody else, and you have this low opinion of yourself, you are still letting yourself stop what God is doing. You are focused on yourself. A truly humble person is a person that has gone beyond themselves. They have died to themselves. And they're saying, Father, in, you know, you could, uh, there's two extremes again. Father, I, I have thought that I am this awesome person. Now I humble myself and I'm just going to receive it from you, not because I deserve it or anything else. But then on the other extreme, there are people that have sinned so badly, they feel so unworthy. You've got to go beyond that and say, Father, I am not going to sit here and let what I have done overshadow what you have done. Your sacrifice is so infinitely greater than my sin that I am going to stand up and even though I don't deserve it, even though I am not worthy, I am forgetting myself and I am focused upon you and what you've done for me and I receive it. I humble myself. That's humbling yourself. If you are wallowing in your own pity and in your own failure and feeling condemned over how sorry you've lived, you probably wouldn't call it that, but that's pride. And you cannot access God's grace as long as you are living in your own condemnation and focused on yourself. Again, the way that we use the word pride makes people think only of arrogance. But condemnation, unworthiness, feeling totally just devastated, oh, I'm so unworthy, that is pride. You are focused upon yourself. True humility is where you don't exalt yourself nor debase yourself. You just, it's not about self. It's just about God. You just have to just come to God and say, God, you've paid it all. The only thing I can do is either believe and receive as a gift or doubt and do without. But you cannot add to God. Man, that's important. I believe that people need to understand this. Let me use these scriptures out of Acts <coughs> chapter 20. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. 
And he was headed towards Jerusalem and he didn't want to go to Ephesus, so he called all of the leaders of the church at Ephesus. Some people believe that there could have been as many as 50,000 or 100,000 people in Ephesus that were believers at this time. And they didn't have one central meeting place. They met in homes. And so all of the elders are talking about all of these different, you know, like uh, pastors, uh, you know, under shepherds to uh, Timothy, who is the uh, first bishop there. And they call these people together. There could have been hundreds of them. We don't know. And, they, and anyway, Paul meant with them on his way to Jerusalem. And he said, I'm not ever going to see you again. God has shown me that this is it, and I commend you to the grace of God. So here's some of his closing words to these ministers. In a sense, this is a minister's conference. He knew that he would never see them again, and he was exhorting them. So in Acts chapter 20 and verse 18, it says, And when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know that from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. You know, some people might take this as a, proud statement. But again, it depends. If you, it is not humility to deny good things that have happened. And if God has done something good through you, there's nothing wrong with acknowledging that something good has happened. Like we've had $50 million come in in six years. Man, there's nothing wrong with that as long as I give the glory to God. And I'm not sitting here saying it happened because I'm so talented or because I'm so smart. Man, it's just God that has done this. And this is what Paul's doing. He says, I have been with you and he's commending his actions and he said that it has been with you at all seasons. In other words, he's been consistent. See, some people who think, well, that's pride. No, it's the truth. He was consistent. He walked with the Lord consistently. It was humility when he says, be followers of me as I follow the Lord. Some people who think, well, that's an arrogant statement. No, it's humility. He was following the Lord. He, he, made, uh, he made it clear that he wasn't perfect. He even said in Philippians chapter 3, not that I count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind, I press for, uh, forward for the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul made it clear he wasn't perfect, but he was living a consistent life at all seasons to the point that he said, people, you follow me because I'm accurately reflecting the Lord. That's humility. Amen. In verse 19, he says, Serving the Lord with all humility of mine and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in the way of the Jews. So here's Paul even speaking and commending his humility, which again, religion would say the moment you acknowledge that you are humble, then you aren't humble anymore. That's not right. Paul, he, he said right here that he was serving the Lord with all humility of mine. That means that at all times and in all ways, his, everything was permeated with humility, submission to God, dependence upon God, giving glory to God, but at the same time, not denying that God was using him. Then he goes on to say in verse 20, he says, And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. Now, some people may not see humility in this, but you know, I've made some of these comments as we've gone through this teaching, but this is actually humility in action. He says, I have kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and taught you publicly and from house to house. In other words, he declared the whole counsel of God. And I've pointed this out in previous teachings, but there's a lot of ministers today who know the truth. They know what the Word of God has to say about social issues, moral issues that are going on in our country. 
but they won't stand up and speak it. And you know why? They might sit there and justify it in a lot of ways and say, I need the money. I can't offend people and drive them off and this and this and this. But the bottom line is, you know what? They honestly are more concerned about themselves, their ministry, promoting themselves than they are about representing God properly. They know the truth, but they're afraid to say it. They're afraid of men. And you know what that is? That's pride. That's exalting themselves. And somebody might say, no, it's the opposite of pride. I'm fearful and I'm scared. Well, that's pride because you are still worried about yourself. A truly humble person isn't worried about themselves. They'll stand up and speak the truth. And if it means their death, so be it. It doesn't matter. They are committed to God. They're committed to truth. They're committed to these things more than they're committed to themselves. The fear of man brings a snare. Fear is rooted in selfishness, self-centeredness. I've used this example many times during this series, but if a person truly had died to themselves, if they were a corpse, you could intimidate a corpse, you could threaten a corpse, you can do anything, and if it's dead, it's not going to respond. If you are responding to threats, it's because you aren't dead to yourself. You are still self-centered. You are still promoting self. Self is still more important to you than the kingdom of God and your Savior. Boy, those are strong statements. This statement about how Paul kept back nothing from them is a manifestation, a proof of his humility and how that he was serving God. And even when it made him be thrown in prison, even when it had him being stoned and left for dead and all of the afflictions that came to him, he kept speaking the truth. He didn't hold back anything because he was humble, because he had died to himself, because he had put God and what God had told him to do ahead of his own personal welfare. That's humility. And if you, have, if you are still promoting yourself and fearful to say what God has told you to say and do because it might cost you something, somebody might criticize you, somebody might roll their eyes, you could call it whatever you want, but it's pride. You are still loving yourself too much. You need to love God and love other people and what the truth can do more than you love yourself. So in verse 21, he says, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. I've been teaching all of this week talking about how faith and humility are linked. And I use Romans chapter 5 verse 2 and James chapter 4 verse 6. Anyway, I hadn't got time to go back and do that. But if he's teaching faith and repentance towards God, well, then he's teaching humility because humility is not depending upon yourself, but just humbling yourself and receiving what Jesus did for us by grace. In verse 22, he says, And now behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Did you know that most people would not have done what Paul did? Because in Jerusalem, Paul was hated. He knew that he was going into the, into the hotbed of Jewish legalism. And right here, he's mentioning that he doesn't know exactly what's going to happen. But in the next verse, he says, Save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, that saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. And did you know most people, if they knew that there was a very good chance of them being in prison, and Paul had been in prison many times. He'd been beaten with whips. He'd been beaten with rods. He'd been stoned and left for dead. Most people who are selfish, who are prideful, who are putting themselves first would not go into a situation like that. But Paul is going because God told him to go. And he says, I know 
that this could be the end of me. At the very least, it could be punishment. It could be imprisonment. There's going to be persecution. And yet, he just goes ahead and goes. And in the next verse, this is what I was really wanting to point out. After he talked about it, he didn't know exactly what was going to happen, but the Holy Spirit was witnessing to him that he would be afflicted. He would be bound. And he says, But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Paul was talking about afflictions, persecution, imprisonment, possible death, and he said, this doesn't move me. <laughs> what a strong statement. Again, this is to me a witness how that there are very few people that have the humility that the Apostle Paul had. Because I can guarantee you today, if people knew that they were going to be imprisoned, that they were going to be beaten, they could possibly be killed, I guarantee you there are millions, millions of people who call themselves Christians that if they knew that that was going to happen to them, they would shut up, they would back down, they wouldn't go to Jerusalem, they would not put themselves in a position like this. They are going to take care of themselves if it cost the gospel going out to somebody. Ministers are doing this. They are not speaking the truth on gay marriage. They aren't speaking the truth on... Uh, all of this kind of stuff. They just aren't, they're quiet because they're afraid of what people are going to say. Now, we need to speak the truth in love, but we still need to speak the truth. And there are people that aren't speaking the truth because they're afraid of men, and it's all because they are still alive to themselves. Paul is saying that none of these things move him. This ought to be the way that it is. That, you know, it doesn't, doesn't make us worry about stuff. You know, often when I see people and I leave, they'll say, well, be careful. And I always say, for nothing, because that's what Philippians chapter 4 says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And we often just say, well, be careful. But you know, you're supposed to be careful for nothing. Now, I'm aware that sometimes people don't mean worry and fear and stuff like this, but I'm saying that we take care, we worry about stuff that we wouldn't have to worry about if we were dead to ourselves. And if it wasn't about us and promoting ourselves, and if it was about just glorifying God, we could be like the Apostle Paul, that I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm probably going to be imprisoned. I might be killed, but that doesn't move me. And then he goes on to say, Neither count I my life dear unto myself. This is just another way of saying that he was humble. A humble person is a person that doesn't count their life dear unto themselves. Now, don't misunderstand this. This doesn't mean that you go out and you abuse yourself and that you kill yourself and do things. You know, you, you're supposed to take care of this. We're the temple of the Lord. You're supposed to take care of your temple. You're supposed to take care of yourself. There's a balance to what I'm saying, but I'm saying that you should not love yourself so much that if you knew that self was going to suffer by doing what God told you to do, that you would be moved by it. Paul said, I'm not moved by these things and I do not count my life dear unto myself. Boy, those are huge statements. You know, I think I mentioned this earlier, but I saw a Barna survey that asked ministers how many of them believe that the Word of God has an answer for every social, moral issue of our day. 
and over 90% said that they believed that the Word of God addressed all of these things. Should have been 100%, but only 90-something percent believed that God's Word addressed our social, moral issues of the day. Then the next question was, how many of you teach on these things from the Word of God? And among the 90% who said they believed the Word of God addressed these issues, only 10% of those taught on it. And you know why? Because of fear of man. Because they were afraid they'd be offended. Somebody would be offended by it. I've actually heard ministers today who are afraid that if they speak out against some of the things that are going on in our society today, that they could lose their 501c3 tax exemption here in the United States. I guarantee you, I praise God that we have it and it has been a blessing. But you know what? I'm going to serve God. I don't care if they take my tax exemption away. It makes no difference to me. And I'm going to give to people that feed me whether they have a tax number or not. I don't give because of tax benefits. And to be intimidated by that, you can explain it away any way you want to. But the truth is, you're operating in pride. You are promoting yourself. You're more concerned about yourself than you are about the kingdom of God and speaking the truth and seeing people set free. That's the bottom line. People who are out to just promote themselves and it's all about them. They are going to go wherever they get the most of whatever and they just, it's all about self. It's just if self is going to be better off than they, that's the direction they go. It doesn't matter whether God's leading them that direction or not. People that do that, they would be moved by going into a situation where they could face imprisonment, beating, and possible death. But Paul said, none of these things move me. And the next phrase tells you why. Neither count I my life dear unto myself. The reason Paul was unmoved by persecution and all of these things that came at him is because he didn't count his life dear unto himself. It wasn't about him doing what he wanted to do. He was the servant of the Lord. He was building God's kingdom and not his kingdom. Well, that is a huge statement right there. And you know, I am a minister and I have a lot of minister friends and there's some great, great godly ministers. I'm not saying that everybody's this way, but sad to say there's too many ministers that aren't out to build God's kingdom. They're out to build their kingdom. And it's reflected in the fact that they won't stand up and speak the truth. They won't stand for things. They compromise. They're constantly trying to soft pedal things. I've known some people that they... They will never just say the truth and let the truth stand. They've got to explain it and try and take away every possibility of anybody misunderstanding and, and offending people. You know, I heard, I, this was, I didn't hear Billy Graham say this personally, but it was quoted that Billy Graham said that a turning point in his ministry happened in 1949 when he was in Los Angeles and he was holding a crusade in Los Angeles and the Lord spoke to him and said, Billy, you make a very poor Holy Spirit. And what he meant by that, he says, you don't just proclaim what the Word says, but then you try and explain it and deal with it and you try and get people under conviction. He says, I didn't call you to be the Holy Spirit. I called you to put out the truth and then let the Holy Spirit quicken it to people. And he said that he quit trying to force people to believe and he just started proclaiming the truth and saying this is the way that it is and he let the Holy Spirit do its job. And you know what? That's humility. 
He quit trying to do it. He quit depending upon himself. He quit taking the responsibility. He just did what God told him to do and left the results with God. That's humility. But you know what? Many people today are trying to force people to do things or they will sit there and if God speaks the truth and if they are bold enough to say it, then they'll spend all this time trying to explain it so that nobody will be offended. I've already used this. Uh, I think it was the sixth chapter of the book of John. Jesus preached and 5,000 people left him because he, they thought he was speaking of cannibalism. He says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And they, they thought he was talking literally about eating him as a cannibal. And they, they uh, questioned him on it. How can this happen? And instead of Jesus explaining himself, modern day ministers would have fallen all over themselves. They would have broken a leg trying to, you know, explain, oh, please don't misunderstand. Jesus didn't explain. He made it worse. He says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And they all left him. And instead of Jesus curling up in a corner and sucking his thumb and turning to his disciples and says, guys, can I please get a hug? Would you please stay with me? No, he turned to his disciples and he says, there's the door. Will you leave also? He was so dead to himself and yet himself was God. He was God. If anybody could have ever been self-promoting, it was Jesus. And yet Jesus was totally responsible to his father. His father showed him that these people weren't sincere in their seeking of him. They were seeking him only because they had eaten of the multiplied loaves and fishes and got their belly full. And he called the group. He started preaching a hard message of commitment and man, people left him by the droves. And he turned around and told his own staff, well, there's a door. You can leave if you want to. You know what that is? That's humility. He was committed to God. He was committed to doing what God told him to do. And he was not out to build his own following. He was out to glorify the Father. And yet there's so many ministers today that will not speak what they know to be the truth because they're afraid of people. They're afraid of people's reactions. And you know what that is? That's pride. They may not come across in the typical ways. They may not be arrogant, walk around with their nose in the air. And some people miss this, that it's pride. But anytime that you are moved by the potential problems of you speaking the Word of God and it bothers you and moves you and you are going to sit here and debate whether or not to speak the truths that God has revealed to you, you can explain it any way you want to, but it's pride. You are exalting yourself. You are exalting your... Uh, attitude, your kingdom, your ministry. You don't want the potential problems that would come and that's pride. Paul was not moved by potential problems and the reason is because he didn't count his life dear unto himself. He was willing to lay down his life for the gospel. You know, in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about all of these people that gave their lives. It talks about people who were sawn asunder. And you know, in the Bible, we don't have an account of this, but secular, or, or let me say history outside of the Bible, says that it was Isaiah that Manasseh had sawn in two because of his witness. Now, Manasseh later turned to the Lord after he had done this, and God reinstated him, and God prospered him. But Isaiah, he just spoke the Word of God, and he was so criticized, he was imprisoned, and eventually, most people believe it's him, that Hebrews chapter 11 is referring to that was sawn in two. And the scripture goes on to talk about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then there were many who gave their lives. 
and did not get delivered in this life. They will experience, uh, you know, deliverance in the next life, but in this life they gave their life. And it says the world wasn't even worthy to have these people. You know what those people were? They were humble. They submitted themselves to God. They put God's kingdom ahead of their own welfare. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, some of you listening to this think, well, man, that, that'd be a terrible life. It's the greatest life possible because when you don't, when you aren't out to promote yourself, when you don't love yourself, but you love God more than you love yourself and stuff, it just is a great way to live because then when something goes wrong and you aren't blessed or pro it's not that big of a deal because seeing you prospered is not the focus of your life. You know, right now we are just seeing God bless everything that we're doing. But I have gone through a lot of things. I pastored three little churches, and I mean people stayed away my, from my churches by the tens of thousands. The largest church I ever had was 100, and that was in a town of 144 people, so percentage-wise it was good. But I mean, I never saw great big churches. And during some of these times, you know, one of the things that ministered to me was that I loved God and I loved His kingdom more than I love myself. And I remember specifically when I was in Childress, Texas, and we had about 50 people or so coming to church. And I mean, we were struggling and we were ostracized. There was a lot of people that really criticized us and stood against us. One of the things that ministered to me was that I would look at my other friends, some people that I was very close with, and they were prospering. And I could see that the kingdom of God was still going forth. And even though my little situation may not have been real positive and I wasn't seeing great things happen. I remember just encouraging myself many times that the kingdom of God is going on. It doesn't matter whether I can experience it, whether I see it myself. I wanted to see it. I believe it was God's will for me to reach people and to see people respond. But I went through years of times where I just sat there and gloried in what God was doing through other people. You know what that is? That's humility. You put the kingdom of God ahead of yourself, ahead of your own kingdom, and you can rejoice whether or not you see it working for you or not. I've seen people in services where there were great miracles of healing, and yet instead of rejoicing over what somebody else received and the fact that God was moving and blind eyes were open, deaf ears were open, they're just sitting there thinking only about themselves. Well, why aren't I healed? How come they got healed and how come I didn't get healed? You know one of the reasons? Because God resists the proud and He gives grace to the humble. And you know what that is? That's pride. You are thinking only about yourself. You can't rejoice with another person because you've got something that you need and why did God give it to them instead of to you? You know, a better way to look at that is like you're standing in a line, you know, to get up here to the pay window or something and you're in a line. And if the person in front of you got theirs, Instead of saying, well, why didn't I get mine? The way you need to look at it is that's one less person in line. They got theirs. Amen. I'm moving towards the front. But there's some people that they don't rejoice over anybody else receiving anything unless they have it. You are just looking at things from your own standpoint. And let me bold, be bold enough to say, I'm going to say some things here. I don't really have time to defend. Some of you may disagree. But you know what? Depression is all about pride. 
And I know that there's some of you that'll take great offense and you look at depression as nothing but a physical, a chemical thing. You're looking for some organic reason for it. You don't have to think it has anything to do with your attitude, your thoughts. You don't hold any responsibility. You see yourself as completely the victim of this thing. But I can guarantee I have dealt with thousands and thousands and thousands of people who were depressed. I've dealt with people who were in mental hospitals and seen them delivered and come out. I'm not maybe the final authority on this, but I have dealt with this a lot. And I'm telling you out of all the people I deal with, it is the fact that they are so focused on themselves and what they don't have and what's going wrong in their life. And there could be great things happening around them. And yet they just, when they see other people prosper, instead of rejoicing with them, they immediately say, well, then why hasn't it happened to me? And it drives them further into depression. You know what that is? That's pride. All pride is just rooted in yourself. You are looking at yourself and what you don't have. You could be looking at what you do have through Christ. You could be looking at other people. You know, in the church that I was raised in, we had a song that we used to sing about count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. And I remember as a kid that people would stand up and give testimonies about that song and how that they themselves were experiencing trouble, but then they would go find somebody else who was having even more troubles than them and it just made their load light and they got over it and, and they gave testimony about how it helped them. You know why? Because they took their attention off of themselves and they got to see in that man, relative to other people, I'm blessed. And it made them focus on the good things. I remember a person one time saying that they used to complain about the pain in their feet until they saw a person that didn't have any feet. And then all of a sudden they realized, man, praise God, I've still got feet to be feeling this pain. And it immediately changed their attitude. But a depressed person is a person who doesn't take joy in what's happening to anybody else. They don't ever see anything good in their own life. They are focused on the negative. They're fearful that if today was this bad, oh, what's tomorrow going to be like? And they are just operating in total unbelief and fear. And that's what causes their depression. I know some of you are saying, no, it's a chemical thing. And that's the reason you can take this uh, pill and it will help you get over depression. Well, I don't doubt that there are chemical problems in your body, but the chemical problems are not what causes the depression. It's the depression that causes the chemical problems. You know, I've heard it reported that Mary Queen of Scots was beheaded by Elizabeth. And uh, the night before she was beheaded, she had long uh, red hair. And the night before she was beheaded, she was in so much fear and worry that her hair turned white overnight. And you know what? There was chemical physical things happening, but it's not the hair turning white that made her be fearful and worried that night. It was the worry and the fear that she had that caused her hair to turn white. Likewise, I don't doubt that people that have depression have chemical problems, but it's not the chemical problems that are the problem. It's the attitude and the focus on themselves and the negativity that is causing the chemical imbalance. So you can take a pill and you can treat the symptoms or you could go to the root of it, which is your focus and the fact that it's all about you and that you are just focused on yourself and what you don't have and fearful that self is going to be denied and ashamed of the things that you've done and, uh, you know, hurt over the things that have done to you instead of looking to God. I guarantee you it is impossible for you to be depressed if you were to think about all that Jesus has done for you. I don't care how bad your situation is. 
Jesus loved you enough that He left heaven and became a man, suffered, was rejected, murdered, and rose from the dead, and He did all of that for you. And He didn't just do that 2,000 years ago, but He gave you the Holy Spirit, and today you have the same Spirit. If you haven't been born again, you can have access to the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. If you are born again, you already have that same power on the inside of you. According to Galatians 5, 22 and 23, you have love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. You got all of these things. If you were to focus on all that God has done, all that He wants to do, all that He's going to do in eternity, I mean, if this life never improved, if you never saw your prosperity in this life, if you never get healed in this life, if people never treat you right in this life, you are headed towards an eternity where you are going to live in a mansion on streets paved with gold. You are never going to have any more sorrow. You're never going to have any crying. And if you were to think of those things, it is absolutely physically impossible for you to be depressed thinking on all of the love that God has extended towards you, the good things He has for you and has planned for you. If you're depressed, it's because you have forgotten those things. You may still have the knowledge, but you aren't focused on it. And you're just thinking about what you don't have. And you're thinking about your problems. And you know what that is? That's pride. You are all about you. It's all about you. You don't rejoice with anybody else. It's just all about you. I'm telling you, it is a blessing. It is so restful. It is so much peace when you come to the end of yourself and just say, Father, it's got to be you. It's got to be you. And then that doesn't mean you don't do anything. If the Lord tells you to do something, you do it. But you do it in response to God, not to get a response from God. That's huge what I said right there. There are so many people that are studying the Word, going to church, paying their tithes, doing the right things, but they are doing it trying to earn God's favor instead of receiving God's favor, just humbling themselves and receiving it as a gift. And then they do these things in response to what God has done, not trying to get a response from God. That's huge. And notice also in this verse that he says that he could finish his course with joy. If you aren't having joy, I can guarantee you it's because you aren't trusting in God. You are still in pride. You are still dependent upon yourself. When you get to where you cast all of your care over on the Lord and God, it's just up to you. Man, that is a powerful place to be. You know, back in 2009, the Lord spoke to me that I was going to have to do something to accommodate our Bible college and help it grow, or I was going to have to kill it, one of the two. It was at a breaking point, and we were just bursting at the seams. So a long story, but the Lord gave us this place up in Woodland Park, Colorado that we call the sanctuary. And when we first went to look at it, there's a lodge there. We stood on the deck with uh, five of my guys and their families, and we prayed over it and asked for God's wisdom. And we decided to go ahead and pursue it and to buy that property. And, and the reason I'm telling this story is to say that when we actually got serious about it and we put in an offer and said, here's what we're offering for this property. The real estate uh, person that we were dealing with came back and said, oh, there's another group that has already put in an offer and it's more than you and they're ready to do it right now. And unless you sign today, unless you do this, you're going to lose this deal. They're going to buy it out from under you. 
And I don't know if that was true. That's a real estate tactic that they often use to try and pressure you either to make a quick decision or to up your offer or something. I'm not sure that any of it was true. But nonetheless, when that happened, you know what? I just told him, I said, hey, I am not in any hurry. I'm going to wait on God. And if this is what God wants us to have, we'll have it. And if He doesn't, there'll be something better. And I said, I am not going to let anybody bully me or intimidate me into anything. And I just had perfect peace. And you know why? It's because I had thrown my care about this over on the Lord. I had humbled myself. I wasn't dependent upon me. I did not feel like I had to make this come to pass. I was waiting on God and I was willing to let the whole thing go. It's just exactly what Paul's saying. He didn't count his life dear unto himself. And so because in that situation, I, it's not like this was not me trying to build my kingdom. If this is what God wanted us to have, we would have it. And if he didn't, I could live without it. It's no problem. And did you know when I had that response, I had one of my guys come to me and he says, I know this is God just because of the response that you have. He said, if you were in the flesh and if this was something you were doing on your own, you would feel like you've got to do something right now. You would be under the pressure and you would be under duress to get it done right now. And he said, the peace that you've got, he says, that's God. And it's absolutely true. When you die to yourself, when you put God first, you don't have to have these things. You can live with it, live without it. It doesn't matter. It's just whatever God wants and it's not a big deal. And that's powerful. You know, I'm speaking to some people right now. I know that God is speaking to some of you that you have decisions to make and you are all stressed out over it. You're worried. You're fearful. You're pressured. You've got to do something right now. You know what? You need to cast the care about that over on the Lord. And He may have you do something, but do it in response to God, not trying to get a response from God. Just cast your care over on it. In James chapter 4, right after it says, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. It says, submit yourselves therefore unto God. And then it says in 1 Peter chapter 5, in verse 7, right after it says, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble, it says, uh, casting all of your care upon Him. If you haven't cast your care upon the Lord, if you are worried, if you can't sleep at night, it's because you are in pride, you are feeling like you've got to take care of it, and you haven't really submitted it to God. You can cast your care over on the Lord where it's no problem. Look at this verse in John chapter 5, and in verse 44, Jesus had been, of course, uh, criticized again by the scribes and the Pharisees and they came against him. You know, what right do you have? What authority do you have? And they were just coming against him and he was defending himself. And look at this in verse 41, John chapter 5, verse 41. He says, I receive not honor from man. Now God, men did honor Jesus. Not everybody. There was plenty that spoke against him, but there were people that honored him. This isn't saying that he refused it. This isn't saying that it was wrong to honor him, but he was just saying that this is not what he was seeking. He wasn't seeking honor from man is what he's talking about. In verse 42, he says, But I know you, that you have not the love of God in you. I am come in my Father's name. He was seeking to bring honor and glory to his Father, not to himself. He constantly deflected it and pointed people towards his Father. And he says, I am come in my Father's name, and you receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive. How can you believe which receive honor one of another 
and seek not the honor that cometh from God alone. That is one powerful verse. John 5, 44. How can you believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God alone? Did you know if you are a man pleaser, if you are doing things because you, you are codependent upon people's approval, you can't live without their approval, then you cannot believe, not with God's kind of faith. And you know, that's because humility is an important part of faith. And humility is not promoting yourself. It's promoting God. It's promoting His kingdom. It's loving God and other people more than you love yourself. If you are a selfish person, if you are a proud person, that it's all about promoting you and you've got to come out on top, then Satan will convince you that following God and doing certain things is going to be detrimental to you, which is really untrue. The truth is, the more that you honor God, the more you will be honored. You know, these verses that we started with over in James chapter 4, let me just get some of these verses. And it says, uh, Draw nigh to God, James 4, 8. Draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and your, purify your hearts, you double-minded. In verse 10 it says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. You know, it, it looks like to the natural realm that if I humble myself, if I don't promote myself, if I don't seek honor, and if I don't seek to draw people's attention towards me, well then, how will I ever be honored? Because we again think that we have to do it all ourselves. But this says, you humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He shall lift you up. God will exalt you. It's contrary to what you think. But promoting yourself causes God to resist you. Defending yourself causes God not to defend you. Publicizing and telling everybody how awesome you are tends to make God not tell everybody how awesome you are. It's exactly opposite of what we think. And this is saying that if you are seek, you, you cannot believe which receive honor one of another. Another way to say that is that if you are seeking the honor that comes from men, you cannot operate in Bible faith. You will not do it. You'll back down. I can guarantee you, if you take a stand in faith on the Word of God, you're going to be criticized. People will think you're crazy. And I can say this with some authority because I've had a lot of criticism and stuff come my way. And you know what? If you are out to please people, if you're out to win a popularity contest, you'll back down. If it's more important to you that you be accepted than it is that you represent God properly, then you'll back down. You'll compromise. You won't speak the truth. Around the water cooler at work, when people go to saying things that are completely off the wall, you don't have to jump on them and be a religious person that, you know, condemns them. You can show love, but man, you need to, every time you get a chance, you need to interject the truth. And you need to stand up for the truth. And if you're afraid to do it, then it's because you're operating in pride. And you cannot truly believe God and be a man pleaser. If you are fearful of rejection you are not going to operate in God's kind of faith. Let me use this verse over in Proverbs chapter 29. I'm not sure the exact verse, but it says, The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whosoever puts his trust in the Lord will be safe. 
If you are afraid of men, then you are going to be snared. You know what a snare is? It's a trap. It's something that you catch uh, an animal in and they can't escape. And Satan, one of his traps that he uses is a fear of men. Fear of what people are going to say. And the only reason you have that fear is because it is so important to you to have their acceptance and their approval. You can get to a place to where honestly the only person that you are out to please is God. And if you please God, then it doesn't matter if people are pleased with you or not. And I know some of you are thinking, you cannot live that way. Well, don't wake me up because that's how I'm living. I don't do it perfectly, but I guarantee you to a very large degree, that's exactly what I'm doing. I am out to please God. And even though I don't do everything exactly the way I'm supposed to, man, that's my heart. God sees my heart and God has blessed me and prospered me and it's working. And I am not out. I don't care about what people think. Now, I can't say that it doesn't affect me any at all, but I have learned how to, when I get that temptation, how to deal with it and cast my care over on the Lord. And basically, I don't let what people think overcome me. And you have got to get to a place to where you are not a man pleaser. If you are seeking the honor that comes from men, you cannot believe. Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, Hebrews chapter 12, said you cannot believe if you are seeking honor that comes from men. You have to get to where you don't care about what people have to say. You are out to please God. And if you will do that, some people think, well, then I'll never get any honor. No, you'll get honor, but it'll come from God, not from men. It may come through men, but it'll be God that promotes you. It'll be God that blesses you. It'll be God that honors you. You know, again, if you go back to these original scriptures that we were talking about, James chapter 4, verse 10, Humble yourselves therefore in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. Some people think that humility is never being lifted up. It's never having anything good happen. You're going to be poor. You're going to be discounted, overlooked. Uh, you'll never amount to anything. That's humility. No, humility is humbling yourself, making yourself totally dependent upon God, doing what He says, not needing men's approval. But if you do it, and if you do it consistently over a long period of time, the Lord will lift you up. There's nothing wrong with being lifted up. It's just you shouldn't lift yourself up. You ought to let God be the one that promotes you. You know, I've given examples of this all throughout this teaching, but I could just name you many times in my own life, in other people's lives that I know, who they did what was right in the sight of God. They humbled themselves, even when it looked like it was to their own detriment, and God promoted them. God promoted them. There's nothing wrong with promotion. It's just that you shouldn't have to fight and promote yourself. Don't ever compromise to promote yourself. Do what's right. You humble yourself and stay consistent and steady with God, and God will promote you. Man, that's awesome. And you know, again, I'm experiencing this. I am certainly not claiming I've done all this right, but I, there are so many times that I have been tempted and people have tried to get me to compromise my convictions in order to obtain a goal, even a good goal, reaching people and doing things. But you know what? I just decided that I'm going to stick with what God told me to do. I'm going to do it even if it's to my own detriment. I'm going to keep serving God and God has blessed me over and over and over again. When, when I was driving in today, I was just thanking God 
for all of the blessings that He has in my life. And I, I don't know if this is accurate, but I've, I said, and I feel like I am the most blessed man on the planet. I mean, God is good to me. God is blessing me. Things are awesome. But you know what? I hadn't done this to myself. God has blessed me. God is prospering me. I want to turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and just look at some of the things that the Apostle Paul said about humility. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and in verse 6, it says, For though I would desire to glory, or uh, boast is what he's talking about, brag on himself, I shall not be a fool. Boy, I, I could spend a lot of time on every one of these phrases, but did you know a fool in the Scripture is uh, a synonym for a person who's not believing in God, not trusting in God. It says in Psalms chapter 14, verse 1, Psalms chapter 53, verse 1, it says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. So when he's talking about, I will not be a fool, he's, he's going to say, I'm not going to talk like a lost man, a person that doesn't know God, a person that doesn't have a relationship with God. And in context, he's saying that I'm not going to boast like a fool would, like a person who doesn't know God. I know that some of these words are offensive to us in our politically correct world today and stuff, but it really is foolish. It's acting like an unbeliever when we start taking credit for things that only God could have done in our life. And this is what Paul is talking about. Paul was used probably more than any person uh, in the New Testament to establish the gospel, wrote half of the New Testament, and he said, I might desire to glory. Here he was still having to deal with this self that wanted to promote itself and do these things. And it's important that you recognize that he was a man who was submitted to God to the point that he said, follow me, use me as an example. And yet here he is saying that he still has a desire to glory, but he's not going to give in to it. So it's not like you ever just get to where you aren't tempted with self. The only way you're ever going to get completely over self to where it's non-functional is to just die and go to be with the Lord. As long as you are in this body, you have to continually deny and die to that self-life and self-promotion. So he says, Though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. Now again, see, I've spent a lot of this uh, series has been trying to counter the religious concepts about humility. I think that religion has presented humility as weakness as just uh, inferiority and things like that. Humility, Paul here is talking about that he has an abundance of revelation. Some people will say, well, see, that's prideful right there. He shouldn't even acknowledge that he has a bunch of revelations. The previous verse, he says, I'm going to speak the truth. It's the truth that Paul had an abundance of revelation. God unlocked the gospel unto him. He even said that this gospel was committed unto me. God did an awesome thing. And if Paul wouldn't have acknowledged that he had an abundance of revelation, he would have been lying. And there's a lot of people that will lie in the name of humility. And they really feel like, man, God's done some awesome things through me, but I'm not going to mention it because people might think that that's pride. You know what that is? That's thinking about yourself and being afraid of man and of their criticism, and that's pride. 
Humility is just saying the truth. If God did something good through you, praise God, admit it, acknowledge it. Paul said, I have an abundance of revelation. And so he says, lest he should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Boy, there is so much here. I have actually spent over a week before teaching on Paul's thorn in the flesh. I haven't got time. I'm just going to say some things quickly. But there are some people that think that, see, this is God that gave him the thorn in the flesh because anything that keeps you from being exalted has to be God. God never wants us to be exalted. That's not true. 1 Peter chapter 2 says, Humble yourself, therefore under the hand of the Almighty, and He will exalt you. God will exalt you. It's just self-exaltation that is pride. But there is a godly exaltation, and this was not God that kept Paul from being exalted. It says, just as clear as it can be, it is the messenger of Satan, not the messenger of God. Satan will try and keep you debased. Satan will try and keep you beat down. Boy, that could preach. I wished I had the time to say some of the things I'd like to say. But this was a messenger of Satan. Some people teach that this was sickness. They say that God put sickness on Paul to make him humble and stuff like that. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that afflictions and persecutions come for the Word's sake. Mark chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, to steal away the Word. Sickness is not a blessing from God. God is not giving you sickness. He didn't cause a divorce. He didn't cause your business to fail so that you could be humble. He doesn't do that. This was Satan that did this to keep Paul from being exalted in the eyes of people more than he should be. Satan was against him. Did you know everywhere Paul went, he saw the dead raised. He saw miracles happen. He saw revival everywhere he went. And if Satan didn't do something to hinder him, people would have just thought, man, look at the favor. Look at all of the good things that are happening to this man. And they would have been drawn to the Lord because of all of the awesome things they saw happening in his life. So Satan afflicted him, and it goes on to say there was given unto him a thorn in the flesh. I hadn't got time to go back, but there are three instances in the Old Testament where it says you drive out all of the inhabitants of the lands, purge yourself of these idol worshipers and people who reject God and all of this. And it says if you don't, they'll become thorns in your eyes and pricks in your side. This is a scriptural terminology that was not referring to sickness and things like that. It was referring to people that persecuted them and came against their belief system. And this is what I believe Paul's thorn in the flesh was. It was the persecution. He besought the Lord three times. It says here in verse 8, For this thing I besought the Lord three times, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul was not submitting to this persecution. He was operating in the power of God so strong, he tried to use his faith to rebuke all persecution. But finally, the Lord inspired him to write. Paul's the one that wrote 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, where it says, All those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But prior to that revelation, Paul was trying to use his faith to stop the persecution against him. It was Satan that just everywhere he went, Paul was afflicted 
more than most people. He talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and he says, man, it looks like we've been set forth last. You're exalted. The people who receive the word I preach, it sets them free. They get healed. They prosper. They get delivered. Their lives improve. But the very ones preaching it, we are, you know, like uh, worse than anybody else. They were afflicted. They were persecuted. And he tried to use his faith. Three times he besought the Lord to take away this demonic messenger that just stirred up persecution anywhere he went. And the Lord finally told him, he says, no, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. We are redeemed from sickness. We're redeemed from poverty. We're redeemed from oppression, but we are not redeemed from persecution. Jesus said that we would suffer persecution. If the master has been treated and called the Beelzebub, then what are they going to call his servants? You are not redeemed from persecutions. Paul's thorn in the flesh was not sickness, it was persecution. And again, I'm not going to spend, I'm going through this very quickly, but over in the book of Galatians and other places, some people have said, no, he had this eye problem because he says you would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. And the reason people think it's sickness, uh, there's probably multiple reasons, but one of them is because it says, I will glory of the things that concern my infirmities. And the word infirmity to us, we use it nearly exclusively to describe some type of sickness. But the word infirmity, if you look it up in the dictionary, it just means weakness, lack, inadequacy. Matter of fact, over in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul talked about his infirmities. He said... Uh, he says, I've spoken of all of these things concerning my infirmities, and he listed them, and he listed being beaten with rods, being beaten with whips, being shipwrecked, being stoned and left for dead, and he called those infirmities. So he's not talking about a physical sickness. He was talking about uh, uh, persecution and rejection. It left him weak. He even listed, you know, the, the burden of all of the churches that he had started and the care for all of these people. He listed that as an infirmity. So anyway, people just take the modern use of the word infirmity and apply it back to the 1600s when the King James was written. And because he says, I will the glory of the things concerning my infirmities, they think that this is talking about sickness. So anyway, I've said all of those things because there's so, mis, there's so many misconceptions about Paul's thorn in the flesh. But the reason for me to bring all of this up is that Paul goes on to say, he said, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, not talking about sicknesses, but just when he's weak, when he's inadequate, he glories in that, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. And then he explains those infirmities. He says reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distress, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then am I strong. And this is the reason I was wanting to bring it out. All of that other was explanation to deal with the religious uh, concepts that have been attached to this. But Paul was saying, when I am weak, then am I strong. Did you know to the natural mind that is uh, foolishness? How can you be weak? Be strong when you're weak. It's because as long as you are trusting in yourself, if you'll go all the way back to the beginning of this teaching, I taught that one of the characteristics of godly humility is dependence upon God. And when you are weak, when you come up against things that are bigger than you, 
it makes you depend upon God. You know that, God, I can't do this in myself, and we cry out to God for help. You know what that is? That's humility. That's recognizing that, God, I can't do this on my own. And we shouldn't just visit there. We shouldn't just wait until we are pushed into a corner and circumstances overwhelm us, and then we humble ourselves and cry out to God for help. You need to live by faith. You need to live a life of dependence. And this is what Paul is talking about. He had learned that everywhere he went, there was going to be persecution. He was going to be in these situations that were bigger than him. If God didn't come through, he was going to be killed. He, he was going to have these terrible things happen. And he had just learned that when he's in these impossible situations and he depends upon God, that's when God makes him strong. Did you know the greatest times that I've ever seen God come through in my life are when I just really humbled myself and realized that, God, what you're asking me to do is way beyond me. And I really believe that this is why it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, that God chooses the weak things of the world and base things of the world, things that are despised, things that are nothing to bring to naught, things that are. He goes on to say, so that no flesh would glory in His presence. The reason God chooses weak people and people that have frailties and problems and know it is not because God is against people with great talent and abilities and stuff like that, but when people are weak and God asks you to do something that in yourself you can't do, it makes you depend upon Him. It makes you humble yourself. And going all the way back to the very first scripture I used, James chapter 4, verse 6, where it says, He giveth more grace, wherefore He saith, God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. God wants us to humble ourselves. And it's the humble. It's those who recognize that, God, this is bigger than me, that I can't do it. Those are the ones that God really releases grace towards. So that's why He chooses weak things of the world. It's not because God is against people that have it all together and have great talent and ability, but people that have all of these talents and abilities and this, this natural charisma and beauty and, you know, just everything that the world admires, those people tend to trust in themselves. And they only depend upon God when they go beyond themselves, but, but they really think that they can handle it. It's not that God doesn't love them and want to use people like that, but those people don't depend upon God. They don't humble themselves. I tell you, God's not looking on the exterior. He's not looking at how beautiful you are, how silver-tongued you are, whether you say everything just right or not. God's looking at our heart, and God will take a person who has a humble heart, a humble attitude, and He will use them every single time over a person who's more gifted, who's more qualified, and all of these things. Boy, those are some big statements right there. But this is what Paul is talking about. He learned through this deal with his thorn in the flesh that when he's weak, then he's strong. And I tell you, this is just a way to live, is to recognize every single day that, Father, thank you for my health. Thank you for the talents. Thank you for the ability to function and all the things that you've given me. But God, I am dead in the water. I am nothing without you. I need you today. And I can truthfully tell you, I've gone into circumstances before where it was just overwhelming and there was no way in the natural that I was ever going to be able to cope. I'm just, you know, I'm not the most gifted person that there ever was. God has given me 
some of the most gifted people I believe in the world today. I'm not going to spend time talking about it and trying to convince you, but it's my opinion out of our 500 employees that God has given me some of the movers and the shakers in this entire world. People that have built businesses that are multi-million, billion businesses. These people have all come around to help me. And did you know, as we discuss all of the things that we're doing and what our vision is and how to get there, these people are talking about business stuff and discussing things, and I don't get it. And I have to stop them often and say, time out, you're speaking business ease. I don't know what you're talking about. And simple things that they think anybody ought to know. You know what? I'm just not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I don't know about all these kind of things. And yet God has blessed me. And I've just learned that for me, you know, instead of trying to fake it and try and improve myself and somehow or another convince these people that I know what I'm talking about, you know what? It's just a position of strength to recognize God has called me to do certain things. He's called me to teach the Word. He's given me an ability to speak the Word and connect with people and to change people's lives. And He's given me a vision and shown me things He wants me to do. But you know what? I don't have the business sense. I don't know how to deal with all of the staff. I don't understand all of the government regulations and all of the rules and the laws that govern all of these things. And so I've, I've let God bring people around me and I recognize that in my weakness, I'm strong. As long as I just stay with what God told me to do and don't try and be something that God didn't call me to do, I'm in a position of strength. And you know what? I'm just not getting out of it. And that can apply not only in business things that I've been talking about, but you know, there's other things in the ministry. There's people that other, there's things that other ministers are doing that I support. I give tens of thousands of dollars to help other people do some things. But you know what? I know what God has called me to do. He's given me a media ministry through television, through the internet, through all the materials that we put out. He's laid on my heart to raise up a Bible college which I believe is going to be the premier Bible college in the world, not to put down anybody else, but I just believe that's where God's leading us. And He's called me to do certain things, and I'm not going to get off and start uh, building orphanages. I support other people that do that. I'm not going to get into helping all of the people that do all these other things. And I'm for them, and I'll support them, but I've got to stay focused. I need to stay in my area. And God has called me to do things that are beyond myself. Some of you have heard me talk about that. I was an introvert and couldn't even look at a person in the face and talk to them. And now I speak to millions and millions of people. And I believe one of the reasons that God called me to do that is because I knew, God, I can't do this. You're asking me to do something that's way, way, way beyond me. And I had to humble myself and just say, God, it's got to be you. And God gets all of the credit for any good thing that's ever happened in my life. Well, I tell you, I'm sharing some things right here that are really powerful. You know, I called a woman one time, and when she answered the phone, I said, How are you doing? And she said, Oh, I'm weak in Him. And when she said that, it kind of took me by surprise because people don't want to talk about their weakness. But it's when you recognize that you are weak, that you and yourself can't do anything, it's when you are weak that you're really strong. As long as you are reading your own press releases, and you are really excited about who you are and what you can do, did you know what? You're vulnerable. And you are, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. 
Proverbs 16, 18. And as long as you are confident in yourself and stuff, you are in a really slippery position. You're about to fall. But as long as you can recognize it, God in myself, I can't do this, then you're in a position of strength. And I could take this and expand on it just a little bit and say that this is probably one way that you discern whether you are doing what God called you to do. Because God is going to call you to do something that is in an area of your weakness so that you will get beyond yourself and say, Oh God, I can't do this. I need your help. If you, can, if you feel like that you can do what you believe God has called you to do in your own strength and power and all you needed was just direction and God, I can handle it from here, then you haven't humbled yourself yet. I and you hadn't found God's will for your life. God is going to call you to do something that is beyond yourself for the very specific reason of bringing you to the end of yourself so that just like Paul, when I am weak, then I'm strong. When it goes beyond me and God, I can't do this. I need you. I have to have your supernatural ability to enable me. That's what humility is, is just humbling yourself and saying, God, I need you. I can't do this without you. That's actually a godly attitude.